Good morning. Remember Hezekiah from last week? Remember all the stuff that he did, all the good things? He, as it were, led a revival among the children of Israel, bringing them back. The rededication of the temple. Remember all that? A really godly man. Today we're going to be looking at his son, Manasseh. Manasseh had the longest reign of any king of Judah. He reigned for 55 years. He's also one of the most wicked. Where Hezekiah was an example to follow, Manasseh is going to be an example to avoid at all costs. Let's look at 2 Kings chapter 21. We'll start in verse 1. 2 Kings 21. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hephzibah, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed. He raised up altars for Baal and made a wooden image, as Ahab king of Israel had done, and he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. So, remember all the good stuff Hezekiah did last week? Manasseh just undid all of that. The verses list four things that he did. First thing is he rebuilds the high places. So now you can go out and worship your own little personal God wherever you want to, anywhere. Also, he raises up altars to Baal. So we have a little more organized form of worship here. You've got Baal and let's, you've got specific places where you can worship him. Also, he makes a wooden image, which uh, the footnote on my Bible says, Asherah. That's one of the Canaanite deities. And then he worships all the host of heaven and serves them. It's interesting, by the way, that he worships them and serves them. He doesn't just have a half-hearted dedication to them. This isn't just kind of like a side note of his reign. He really serves these false gods. At this point, shouldn't God judge him? He's no better than the pagan kings whom the Lord brought Israel in to wipe out in the first place. It's the verse said he, he, the, uh, that he did evil according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Remember, God had said back in Deuteronomy, you're not supposed to be like the other nations. Now you can't tell the difference between Israel and all the other pagan nations. It's interesting. His father loved the Lord. His father was a very godly man. Manasseh rebelled against the Lord and went out of his way to disobey the Lord and to go contrary to everything that his parents had taught him. It's almost like he wanted to try the things that had been forbidden before. You know, maybe my dad really didn't know what he was talking about. Maybe he really was too narrow-minded. Maybe he was just, you know, a stick in the mud. Maybe by exploring these new things, I'll find more happiness than I could have. But the Lord chose patience with him. Let's look at verses 4 and 5. 
He also built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem I will put my name. And he built all altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Well, he has just taken his offenses against the Lord and stepped them up a notch. He's not just worshiping idols anymore. He's giving a direct insult to Jehovah. He's profaning the very place about which God had said, in this house and in Jerusalem, I will put my name forever. He's a guy who wants to show God how much he doesn't need him. In fact, he wants to show God how much he hates him. Whatever he can do to profane the name of the Lord, he'll do it. Whether it means setting up altars to other gods in the temple. Later on, you'll see that he actually sets up an idol in the temple itself. It's like Manasseh taking his sin and rubbing it in the face of God. God should really judge him now, shouldn't he? But the Lord still shows patience. Reading on. Also, he made his son pass through the fire, practiced soothsaying, used witchcraft, and consulted spiritists and mediums. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Remember back in verse 3, he served the host of heaven. Now we see how much he did. The host of heaven, that would be all the false gods. It says that he made his son pass through the fire. In the parallel passage in Second uh, Chronicles, it says sons, so he did this more than once. Apparently, the worship of Molech among the... Uh, pagan nations who were there before the Israelites involved they had this idol of Molech and he had his he was made of metal and his arms were out like this and inside of him there was this space where you could put fire and they would get it really hot and his hands would become like white hot and then they'd put a child onto his hands And, of course, the child would die, and he, the child would be sacrificed to Molech. That's how far he's gone. He's murdering his own son in an offering to a pagan god. Another list. We had a list earlier about what he did. Well, here's another one. First thing is he's practicing soothsaying. He's divining the future. It's interesting. It says he's practicing soothsaying. It doesn't say that... He's going to soothsayers, people who will tell him the future. He's personally practicing soothsaying. He's using witchcraft. Again, he's not permitting witches in his kingdom, which would be bad enough. He's personally using witchcraft. This is the king using witchcraft. He's consulting spiritists, and he's consulting mediums. These are people with familiar spirits. Uh, demons that they communicate with. And he's, he's, he's going to these people and asking them for advice. 
this guy doesn't just do one or two bad things. It's almost like he's trying to see how much evil he can do. I know this from personal experience, and I'm sure that you can all relate on one level or another. When you give yourself over to do something wrong, when you decide to do something wrong, and you've committed yourself to that sin, sin really starts to take over. You start to do worse and worse things, things that originally you never would have thought that you could do. You start to consider doing things that you never would have gone before. You see how much now, he, how far he's gone. He's practicing witchcraft himself, offering his kids up as sacrifices. This is from a guy who was brought up the son of Hezekiah, the son of a very godly man. Interesting also at the end of verse 6, it says that he did all this evil to provoke the Lord to anger. The Lord is being patient with Manasseh. But it's not like all this is going unnoticed by him. It's like Manasseh's poking the Lord, poking him. How about that, huh? Come on, are you going to get angry? How about if I do this? And the Lord's just waiting. Why, by the way, is the Lord still showing patience? Uh, the Lord says later in Second Peter that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants Manasseh to repent of what he's doing. And he's showing patience. Even though if we were in God's shoes, as it were, we would judge Manasseh. The Lord isn't yet. Reading on, starting in verse 7. <clears throat> Manasseh even set a carved image of Asherah that he had made in the house of which the Lord had said to David and to Solomon his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. And I will not make the feet of Israel wander any more from the land which I gave their fathers, only if they are careful to do according to all that I have commanded them and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. But they paid no attention and Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. How serious is this? It says that Manasseh seduced them rather than heeding the warnings that God had given. Think about that word, seduced them. That word, we often use that word of an immoral woman, seducing the guy, using charms, persuading, come on, it'll be okay. It's interesting that it doesn't say that he led them, he actually seduced them. It sounds like they needed convincing. It sounds like Hezekiah had turned them to serve the Lord. So Manasseh had a bit of a job. He really had to seduce the children of Israel to do all this evil. But it doesn't say that he just tried to seduce them. It says that he seduced them. He did turn these people from worshiping God, from serving him, 
from all that revival that we learned about last week. He turned them from that to what we've just been reading about. I wonder. Do you think this might have been to make him feel better? I, I wonder if he was thinking, you know, I can see all this badness that I've done. If I can get more people involved in this, it won't, it won't be so bad. Maybe if everyone else is doing it. Maybe he was doing it so he wouldn't be the only one deep in sin. Through Manasseh's leading, Israel is not just committing the sins of the nations that were before them. They're doing more evil than them. Things that people like the Canaanites or the Philistines would have said, no, 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 no that's wrong. That's too much. I'm, we're not going to do that. That'd be wrong. More evil than the nations who were before them. And remember, God had said, the sins of the Amorites are full. I'm bringing you guys in to judge them. If, if, and if the sins of the Amorites were full and the children of Israel have been seduced by Manasseh to do more evil, how wicked is this? Again, it's like Manasseh is trying to see just how wicked he can be. God should surely judge Manasseh now, shouldn't he? I mean, at this point, look what he's done to the nation. Look how much he's reversed. God should say, okay, that's it. I mean, I was, I was patient with you. I was waiting for you to repent, but it's obvious you're not going to repent now. But the Lord is still patient. How much longer do you think the Lord's going to be patient? How much longer do you think the Lord's going to wait? It's like a time bomb ticking. Think Manasseh's got another day? Maybe another week, maybe another month. Let's look at verse 10. And the Lord spoke by his servants, the prophets, saying, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations, he has acted more wickedly than all the Amorites who were before him, and has also made Judah sin with his idols. Therefore, thus says the Lord, God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such calamity upon Jerusalem and Judah that whoever hears of it, both his ears will tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab. I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. So I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies. And they shall become victims of plunder to all their enemies because they have done evil in my sight. And it provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came out of Egypt even to this day. Is this message just? Is the Lord being too hard on them? Shouldn't he be a little more patient with them? It's been coming for a long time. In fact, it's been coming for many generations of kings, let's be honest. There have been many before Manasseh who have been idolatrous, many who have turned the uh, children of Israel away to idols. But nonetheless, there weren't any as bad as Manasseh. It's, he's the one that apparently tips the scales. The Lord says, okay, judgment's coming. We also have new characters in this verse. 
Look at verse 10. It says, The Lord spoke by his servants, the prophets. Think about the moral outlook of the nation in which these prophets are giving this message. The children of Israel have been seduced to do more evil than the nations before them. What's going to be the response of them to this message? Do you think they're going to like it? What are they going to treat these prophets like? But nonetheless, they delivered the message of the Lord. What a breath of fresh air among all this wickedness. Here's some people who the only thing on their mind is, you know, I don't care what everyone else is doing. The whole nation is gone down the toilet. You know what? I want to serve God. What a contrast with the darkness and the filth and the oppression of the idol worship. All the sorcery that's involved, all the demons, the child sacrifice, the immorality that we know is very much associated with all those religions. You have the cleanness and the simplicity of these guys who are following the Lord. God said, I want you to go speak this message. And they said, okay, Lord. One of these prophets, by the way, is Isaiah. Uh, he served in uh, Hezekiah's reign, a uh, godly man. And it must have been a joy to him to be able to talk to the king. And we know that he advised the king. Like when Sennacherib came up against uh, Jerusalem, Isaiah was there telling, giving him words from the Lord. Well, Isaiah is ministering now in the son's reign. What a difference for him. It's the Christmas season, and uh, Amy and I are regularly out accompanying pieces from Handel's Messiah. Because that's one of the big uh, things to do around this time of year. And it's, always, it's called Handel's Messiah. I guess because he wrote the music. But, you know, you look at the songs you have, even in the Red Book, you've got the lyricist over here and the composer over here. And Handel's Messiah, as far as I'm concerned, the music's great, and it adds to the words. But the lyricist is much more important when it comes down to it. And Isaiah is one of the lyricists of it. Think about some of the uh, lyrics that he provided for the Messiah. You're probably going to start uh, having tunes run through your head when you hear these words. This is the guy, remember, that we're going to hear some words by a guy who's one of the prophets that God sent during Manasseh's reign. Listen. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful. Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. 
All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is the kind of man that Isaiah is. What wonderful words to be blessed, to be inspired with. What a godly man that God could use him in that way. Now let's look at another verse. This is from the beginning of Isaiah. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And now a verse towards the end of Isaiah. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Isaiah has been giving this message of repentance for a long time. And Manasseh has been hearing it for a long time. If Isaiah ministered in daddy's reign, Isaiah has, uh, Manasseh has been hearing it all the time when he was a kid. And now Isaiah is still ministering. He's still hearing it. Here we have a guy with so much responsibility. He's been hearing so many calls to repentance from God. But he hasn't listened to any of them. Remember, to whom much is given, much will be required. To be hearing words like this and still to be ignoring them. How much judgment is in store for Manasseh now? Look at verse 16. Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another besides his sin by which he made Judah sin in doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Back to Manasseh, apparently. But actually, you just read about Isaiah. You know the verse in Hebrews 11 where it's talking about the heroes of faith? It says they were stoned. It says also they were sawn in two. That appears to be referring to Isaiah. Manasseh didn't want to listen to Isaiah. This message of repentance may have been convicting to him. I don't know. But bottom line is he got, he got sick of hearing him. And he put him in a log and he cut him in two. He murdered the man through whom the Lord wrote 66 chapters of Scripture. It's not just Isaiah, though, that he killed. It says that Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another. The Lord doesn't use superlatives very much unless they're needed. I learned that when I was writing essays. I used to write very, a lot, a whole bunch, much. The Lord doesn't do that unless he really means it. 
says that Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another. Sin seems completely perfected in him at this point. He can't stand people who are good. He'd rather kill them. Judgment's been coming to Manasseh for a long time. God should judge him now, shouldn't he? Do you think he'll still be patient? If patience has no end, it's tolerance. If God just keeps waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, and he really is not going to do anything in the first place, that just means that God can tolerate sin. It means that, you know, it's not really that bad. I can put up with it. God is not tolerant of sin. In the parallel account in Second Chronicles, you read, Therefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze fetters, and carried him off to Babylon. At last. He's had this coming for a long time. It says they took Manasseh with hooks. I looked this up online. I was interested. This is something that the Assyrians did. Um, they used maybe nose hooks. It says they also used lip hooks, sometimes jaw hooks. They put a, a hook through the jaw of a captive. You can imagine also this being the king. They'd love to humiliate him to show their power. So they've got Manasseh now with this hook through him. I don't know where. And we also read later that he was in affliction. <clears throat> Remember how he was provoking the Lord, goading him? You going to do something, huh? You going to do something? Well, the Lord finally judged him. So Manasseh goes from being a king to having nothing except torment. He used to have power. He could kill however many people he wanted to. He had an army, I'm sure, at his disposal. He used to have the authority to change the religion of the people of Israel, to lead them astray. <clears throat> he used to have wealth. I mean, come on, he has the, the whole nation of Israel, all the gold and silver. I'm sure he used the gold and silver from the temple. Glory, again, is king. Fame, people knew about him. I mean, this is king of Israel. I'm sure he would have said that he had happiness, able to do whatever he wanted to. He was free. His dad used to say, you know, you can't do this, you can't do this. Well, now I can do whatever I want to. I'm king, and I can go and explore all that stuff that I was told I shouldn't do. Now he has, instead of power, he has complete impotence. He can't do anything. He's a captive. He belongs to the Assyrians. They can do whatever they want with him. Instead of wealth, he ain't got anything. No silver chalice, no servants with him. He's probably a servant himself, maybe. No glory. He's in prison. What kind of glory is that? No fame. This guy got beat by his enemies. What kind of fame is that? No happiness, certainly. 
His judgment is righteous. He had been worshiping idols. He had been profaning the Lord's temple. He'd been practicing witchcraft. He'd been seducing the children of Israel to do more evil than the nations who were before them. And he'd been murdering the prophets of the Lord. You bet this was coming to him. Now he gets to just sit and think about his own horrible sins without any distraction. While he was thinking, I wonder what he thought about. The cries of his son as he was being burned in the arms of Molech. The side of the idol that he'd made sitting in the temple of the Lord. The various incantations and spells that he'd learned while practicing witchcraft. The words that Isaiah had spoken. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Wait a minute. Could that apply to Manasseh now? Could he possibly still be benefited by this verse? What are the qualifications? Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Wicked and unrighteous. Yeah? That's him. What does he have to do? And let him return to the Lord. Repent. Can he do that at this stage of his life? Can he, leaving behind all the wickedness that he's done, return to the Lord? Continuing in Second Chronicles. <clears throat> now when Manasseh was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed to him. He's done what Isaiah had commanded so many years earlier. He humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. There's another superlative. Greatly. What did that mean for Manasseh? Lord, I was wrong. Lord, all that stuff I did. I can't go back on it now, but I was wrong. Can you forgive me?
Should God forgive him? Would God forgive him? Next verse. And he received his entreaty. And he heard his supplication. And he brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Suddenly Manasseh has become an example to follow. <clears throat> Maybe there's someone here who's been running from God like Manasseh. And you're wondering if you can be forgiven. If Manasseh could, you can. Let's pray. How merciful you are, Lord. Lord, as you have said, your mercy reaches to the heavens. Lord, who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity. Lord, we pray if there's anyone here who still has sins to their credit. Oh, Lord, we pray that they would follow Manasseh's example and that they would humble themselves before you. Lord, knowing, knowing, Lord, that you will forgive because you have promised. In Jesus' name. <laughs>